Welcome to LifeQuest, a program that directs you to subjects and books that will make a difference in your life. A program that will make you think and strengthen your journey of faith in the 21st century. My name is Dwight Lanehoff. Today on LifeQuest, I'm talking with Lucille Williams. She is a national speaker and author, and she's children's pastor at Palmcroft Church in Phoenix, Arizona. And today I'm talking with Lucille about her latest book called The Impossible Kid, Parenting a Strong-Willed Child with Love and Grace. Welcome to LifeQuest. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, I would like to, for transparency's sake, say, well, I don't think I was a strong-willed child, but I certainly talked back to parents and teachers. Oh. <laughs> it's just what got me in trouble. But why why did you write this book at this time? Well, this is a book that was a long time coming. My daughter was extremely strong-willed. Mm-hmm. And at 17 years old, she looked at me one day and she's like, Mom, I think you ought to write a book and write a book about raising me because you always say <laughs> I was your toughest kid. Very good. And it, yeah, and I thought it was funny at first. I'm like, no, that's your, no, I don't think so. And then she said, Mom, I'll write what I think at the end of every chapter. Ah. And then I, I got to thinking about it, and I thought, you know, this, we might have something here. And so that's kind of how it started. Define for our audience the characteristics of a strong-willed child. Strong-willed kids are those kids that when you say, hey, go over here, they want to go over there. You say, no, don't do that, don't touch that, that's not a good idea, and those are the exact things that they are trying to do. That's what we experience with our daughter. They do the opposite or for what? No particular reason or just because? Well, I know my daughter, and she would say this too. She just didn't like anyone telling her no. Mm-hmm. If you say no, she wanted to turn that no into a yes, and it just made her fight all the more. The more boundaries that went up, the more she wanted to break down the boundaries. The more rules there were, the more she wanted to break the rules. And so when you have a child like that, yeah. it becomes very tricky on how to guide them and not break them. Because sometimes we get those kids that are so tough, and yes, we can get them to do what we want, but in the process, we're breaking them down and we're, we're hurting their little spirits. And so, it's a, you know, you've got you to gotta train them up but not break them in the meantime. Yeah. How does the strong-willed child in a family of more than one kid, how does that work with their siblings? Well, for me, pretty much all of my kids were pretty tough, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. She was just the toughest. So, and then our, our third... He was the one that was just kind of very compliant. You know, you'd say, hey, don't do that. You look at his little face and you go, okay, mommy, and that was it. But then uh-huh. he was the one that would manipulate and do things behind your back, and then you'd find out that he did what he just said he wasn't going to do. <laughs> <laughs> when things like this happen, as parents, I have four daughters, so there's plenty of drama in my life. But <clears throat> what happens is that we react as parents and sometimes we don't react as well as we should. Yes. I think sometimes things happen and you need to set back, sit, you know, sit back and go, okay, what, what is really happening here? Like one time I went up to my kid's elementary school and I was just sitting on the street just kind of watching. I'm like, I wonder what they're like on the playground. Yeah. I wonder what they're like when mom's not around and no one's watching them. And I see my son playing this game 
where he was running up to little girls and tossing them to the ground. And I took everything I had in me to stay in my car and not run onto the school playground and say, what in the world are you doing? You don't treat girls like that. And so I'm watching, and I'm watching all these little girls flying around like dominoes. And I was just sitting there. I'm like, who is this kid's mother? She must be the worst mother in the world. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that would be me. So I just, I just, I went home completely broken and mortified, and I just remember, you know, just praying to God, going, "What in the world? How is this happening? What, you know, why is this happening? How do I deal with this?" And you know, my first reaction was, "I'm just going to get really mad at him and just tell him, you don't do that," and blah blah yeah. blah. But then I sat back and went, "Wait a minute, maybe that's not the right approach. I need to talk to him and find out, like, what's going on in his little brain that he thinks it's okay to treat girls like this." So after school, I sat him down, and I said, Tim, Mom, Mom has a confession to make. I was, I was at your school today, and I watched you during recess, and you were throwing all the little girls down. Like, what in the world, honey? Why would you do that? Can you explain this to me? He's like, Mom, it's a game. We're just playing. It's just a game. And I'm like, no, we don't play like that. He goes, well, I do with my sister. Ah, oh, mm-hmm. then it hit me. His older, stronger, yeah. bigger sister this was something, it was a game in our house that they would play. They would wrestle and play, and, you know, we, that was like a fun game in our house. And, and so he thought it's okay to do that even at school. And so that was a, a fail on my part, not him, because I hadn't taught him that not all girls are like your sister. You can't, you know, wrestle with all the girls like this. Yeah. And so I, once I explained it to him, then, you know, there wasn't any discipline involved or anything. Once I explained it, he understood, and that was it, because I did go up and check. I thought of something as, as you were talking, and that was a number of decades ago. I remember one of my teenage daughters did something. I don't even know what it was, but I really laid into her about it. And, you know, and, and as soon as she got into tears, I know I had accomplished it. I mean, that was my attitude. But as as years passed, I feel so bad about that. And so I talked to her one day, she's an adult now, and I said, uh, Liesl, I'm, I want to apologize for that incident, and I went on and on and on. And finally she says, Dad, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> it's been bothering me. I said, what do you remember from your teenage years? And she says, well, I just remember you were always there, Dad. And and I remember <gasps> at times that uh, she would... She was the quiet one. She'd hold it back. I have other daughters, not so much, but, you know, and uh, sometimes we'd just get in the car and drive from Roseburg, Oregon to see Grandma down in Southern California. We wouldn't say anything on the whole trip (laughs) except you have to go to the bathroom and, you know, that sort of thing. But I guess that was a positive thing for her. But my point was I was concerned about how other people might think about what my teenager was involved in. And that shame and embarrassment was in my life and was my motivation. And that wasn't the best motivation. Sometimes we have that. I mean, it's so easy to fall into that as a parent because, you know, your kids are kind of a reflection on you or you feel that way. And we tend to let other people speak in and and help us decide how we're going to, you know, be with our kids. But really... Sometimes it's a matter of, am I going to be a good parent, or am I going to be a parent that just looks good to others? Yeah. Like, I remember one time, my little, my little three-year-old, he went through this stage where he had this little vial, and he would put his boogers in it, and he had this <laughs> booger collection that he would carry around. 
And so I volunteered to bring a meal to one of our pastors, and I, you know, brought the meals, and lo and behold, he pulls his little vial out of his pocket that I didn't know was there, and so here I am, have, you know, bringing a meal to someone, and he's showing them his booger collection. Oh, boy. And I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is so embarrassing. But luckily, the pastor was very gracious, and he said, yeah, I have one of those, too. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I that's interesting, and this whole concept of, I don't know, there was a British uh, comedy series many years ago called Keeping Up Appearances, and I, I realized in many ways, maybe I grew up that way. I was a preacher's kid, you know, what will the congregation think and, and all this sort of stuff. And that causes how we react to our, to our kids. And yet you're talking about here dealing with a strong-willed child, dealing with our children with love and grace. And mm-hmm. that doesn't come easy sometimes. No, it doesn't. Like, I understand the whole like fear thing with your kids because there's just so many things can happen and you know we can become fearful i know i was like sometimes i let my fear rule my parenting rather than my good judgment Mm -hmm. and my daughter on her very first day of high school you know you talk about those things that you regret and you have to go back you know you want to apologize for over and over it was the first day of high school and she looked so beautiful. She got in my car, and we're in the driveway. And I just remember her walking in my car thinking, oh, my goodness, what a beautiful young lady she is. And she gets in the car, and as she sits down, her shirt comes up on the side, and I can see her skin on the sides of her body. Mm-hmm. And I screamed out, ah, I see skin! I see skin! What are you wearing? What is that? What are you wearing? And she's like, Mom, it's no big deal. And so now it's like either she's going to, I'm going to make her go in the house and change, or yeah. we're going to take off and go to school because, you know, she can't be late. So all the way to the school, I think we were kind of arguing, and I was telling her, like, you know, you need to dress appropriately and blah, 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 and I'm going on and on. And then we get to the school, and, of course, I'm like, bye, honey, have a good day, I love you. And she gets out of the car, but, you know, good mom left it, you know. And then, oh, worse, I called her a name in the whole process. And I'm not even going to say what it is because I'm embarrassed about it. But mm-hmm. it is in the book, so you're, the people can read it in the book. But I just don't want it. It wasn't very nice. And um, so she got to school, and she found a friend, and she asked her little friend, hey, do I look okay? She's like, yeah, you look great. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then she had other people, you know, speak in and say, you know, you look great. But me, I went home, and I'm like, what an idiot I am that I did that. That was yeah. so so rude and it was all because of fear you know she's getting older she's going into high school i don't want her getting too much attention from the boys and all i see is a little skin and it just completely set me off right you talk about uh the importance of spending time one-on-one which with multiple kids that's not always easy but what what do you mean spending what you might think is a good moment with your child they're saying why can't i go out and play or why can't i go to my room how does that work right well what i did with all my kids is i paid attention to what they liked i paid attention to their favorite meals their favorite pastimes their favorite desserts and so I would say, hey, you want to go get an ice cream or you want to go do this? Or, you mm-hmm. know, one of my kids really likes going to Starbucks. One of my boys loves Taco Bell. He could be mad and mad and mad at me. And all I had to do was say, hey, you want to go to Taco Bell? Okay, Mom. And that was yeah. it. We'd go to Taco Bell. So I would find things that I knew that they wanted to do, and then I would invite them. And so I always made time for that. And it started 
really young, sometimes I would just show up at their school and pull them out for lunch. Mm-hmm. And I'd go take them to a park, and I'd let them play on a playground, and we'd sit and talk, and I'd have a picnic lunch for them. And then after lunch, I took them back to school. So I was always, each week, I was looking for windows. Okay, which kid can I be with? How can I fit this in? And what would they like to do? Yeah. And then I would invite them and, and have special time with them. Discovered that... Um... My kids open up to me, even as they're grown, they're out of the house. But if we go out to eat, Olive Garden, uh, they'll <laughs> one-on-one in, in the booth, that's when they'll talk. Uh, mm-hmm. or, or in the car, driving somewhere, you know. Right. And I suppose it's because it's that kind of isolated situation that they find themselves in with their parent. Absolutely. Yeah, I had one that if you fed him, he would talk to you. That's all it took. You know, you just sit him down, give yeah. him food, take him to a restaurant, and he'd talk. I had another one that liked to kick a ball around. If you're kicking a ball or mm-hmm. throwing a, you know, baseball or football, when he played football, he and I would toss the ball back and forth in the backyard, and he would talk during those times. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, If you've just tuned in, folks, I'm talking with Lucia Williams. She's an author, and her latest book is called The Impossible Kid, Parenting a Strong-Willed Child with Love and Grace. In your book, you've reminded me of a a situation where I was um, a pastor and a teenager came and talked to me, and she says, you know, my dad doesn't really understand all that I'm going through. He was such a perfect guy. And I said, Oh, no, he wasn't, <laughs> because I knew his background and all that sort of thing. And actually, I didn't say it to her straight away. I went to the father, and I said, your daughter needs to know that you got in trouble when you were in school, that uh, you survived and you learned and all that sort of thing. And uh, it made a difference in their relationship. Absolutely. I tried very hard to, to reveal to my kids things about my life that was age-appropriate, and I wouldn't just blurt things out when they were little. I waited till they got a little older and they could understand. And like I remember one time my two older ones were teenagers and they were talking about eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how gross bulimia was. And I could hear them talking. And I went in and I said, yeah, I, I know about that. I had that. And they both just, yeah. <laughs> they went, oh, like, Mom, you dealt with that? Like they couldn't believe it because they thought it was, you know, horrid. And I'm like, yeah, and then I let them ask me questions, and I explained, you know, what my journey was and what happened and how, you know, what the Lord did in that, and it, it, it deepened our relationship. I think honesty is really good, but age-appropriate honesty. It seems as if, at times, children are willing to talk to someone outside of their family, maybe an adult that they know from interacting with, with us as a family, rather than parents. And sometimes we say, well, why aren't they talking to me? I think if kids are talking, it's good. If, they're, if they have someone they can talk to, I think it's good that we encourage that. Because, you know, what, we all have the same goal in mind. We just want our kids to be okay. Mm-hmm. And whether they talk to me or someone else or they get something from someone else, that's totally fine with me. Like my daughter... Every time we'd go shopping, you know, teenagers, they'd love to go shopping with their moms. My daughter, mm, not so much. We were always, we would fight. I'd be like, you can't get that. And she'd go, I want to shop with dad. I don't want to shop with you. We'd be fighting in the dressing rooms. Or I'd be like, what's taking you so long? Because I'm just not a shopper. I didn't enjoy it. Uh-huh. So she would go shopping with friends of mine. And they would help her and they'd pick her out, you know, nice yeah. outfits. And they'd talk and they'd have a good time. When it was me, it, it didn't go so well. So I, I let her, you know, not let her, but I encouraged 
her doing that with other people and maybe going with her dad because it just it didn't go well when she was a teenager. Now it's a different story, and she'll sometimes look at me and go, where was this person when I was a teenager? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When, when kids started start dating, um, and, and we observe this, and we have all kinds of advice, um, most of which isn't taken, um, how do we relate to that? Uh, we sometimes have noticed that you know, if you're if you're against who they're dating, that means they're going to continue to date them. It's that kind yes. of contrariness. Yes, the way I dealt with that, especially my daughter and my boys too, I I didn't ever want to come off like I was opposing what they were trying to do in their life. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be involved. So if my daughter was starting to date someone, I would get excited for her. Like I wanted it to be like, oh, mom thinks this is fun. But then when you know, I was around, and then I'd ask the questions. Well, how did your date go? And she'd get talking, well, how did you feel when he said that to you? Well, what did that feel like? What did you think when he said this? And I would just listen, and I would kind of buy my questions, and there were times where she'd be like, Mom, I know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Stop it already, you know. But it made her, it got her thinking. And, you know, there there were quite a few guys that she broke up with before she finally married her husband, and I really think a big part of those breakups were all of my questions. I've discovered that my girls will tell me anything, but not at the time of the occurrences. It's just, it's a couple of weeks later, you know. And so I guess I, I then avoid this interrogation accusation of coming up with all kinds of questions, which they say, why uh, are you doing that? But then they end up telling me anyway. So. It's always so much easier for them to talk about it after when they're in the middle of it. Yeah. They tend to want to just deal with it on their own, and they don't want our influence a lot of times. And those are those are tricky times to just be waiting for them to, you know, want to talk. So there are some of our listeners, I'm sure, who are saying, "Wow, I, I've got a child like this, and is it ever going to end? And how do I cope with na- with the now of it all?" Oh, absolutely. If you have a strong-willed child, I just want to say uh, stay the course. It's going to get better. You're going to get through this. Galatians 6.9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And the harvest is there. When you've got a kid who's fighting you at every turn, you sometimes feel like nothing you're doing is working, Mm -hmm. but it is. It's getting through everything you say, everything you do, how you're interacting with them. All of those moments are getting through, and in time, you will reap a harvest. You just got to stay engaged. And I would say you've got to find the humor. You've got to insert fun in there. It can't all be correction and you know sometimes you just gotta let things go and say hey let's just go to the movies or let's just go for a walk or let's go get some ice cream and just have fun with them create fun because nobody wants to be around a parent who's continually uh correcting you (laughs) a true story the book is called the impossible kid parenting a strong-willed child with love and grace lucille where can our listeners get a copy of your book Yes, you can, um, you can go to my website, lucez.com. That's one place. And then bookstores. And, of course, on Amazon. Yes. Well, that's good. Lucille, thank you so much for being with us on LifeQuest. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
This program comes to you from the studios in the Meadowglade Church, Battleground, Washington. Thanks for listening to LifeQuest today. If you have questions or comments, you may send them to lifequest at lifetalk.net. My name is Dwight Lanehoff. This program comes to you from studios in the Meadowglade Church, Battleground, Washington. Thank you.